The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out Andrew Ross here from The Career Establishment. Before I introduce you to my two guests, I want to say a huge thank you for everyone that has subscribed to Talent Talk Asia. It means a really great deal. So thank you so much. Please keep it up. I'm going to take this opportunity um, to share the news that The Career Establishment um, are launching a group called Women in Recruitment Asia, WERA, that's going to be launching in June 2021. So if you're a recruitment leader out there, please sign up as a company member so that you can send your employees to networking events, met, be part of mentoring programs and discounting development programs. So it's something that you do not want to miss out on. Um, and it's something that I'm very, very passionate about in regards to gender equality. Okay, so without further ado, let me introduce you to our two guests. We've got Sam Baxendale and Jim Ho from Kinetic Hiring that are based up in KL. Now, they're going to be sharing with you their backgrounds, um, launching of a new outsourced talent acquisition business and their dreams for their future. And also what I found really exciting about this particular um, podcast was just how them as both leaders are complementing each other in terms of strengths and areas that they might rub each other up the wrong way um, and how they're reaching their goals together. So it's quite an interesting one. And I think it's the first time we've actually had um, two guests on the show as opposed to one. So you are in for a treat. So this is what we have in store for you. I, I mean, after two, nearly two decades in the agency space, I mean, I, I love the sector. I love being in Southeast Asia. I love the fact that we're supporting businesses with finding their, their greatest and most valuable asset. I guess after that period of time, I wanted to explore a new model outside of the agency space. No win, no fee, chasing commissions. Um, I was just getting a bit, yeah, a little tired of that model. Um, I, I do respect it and I think there's a space for it. Um, but I think businesses are interested in something different. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, how are you this morning? Very well indeed, Andrea. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm, I'm happy it's a Friday, so it's all pretty exciting stuff. Um, Absolutely. I want to say, so today's podcast is quite special. We have two guests on the show, which is really nice. We always have one. So actually, I think you guys are the first time we've ever had two guests on the show this is uh this is new stuff so we have That's sam baxendale and jim ho who are the founders of kinetic hiring based up in kl so we're gonna get we're gonna get straight into it it's friday we're gonna be boom into those questions 
Um, yep. So I'm really keen to find out more about Kinetic. But before we get there, um, I was really keen for you, Sam, let's kick off with you first so that listeners can get more of an idea about your background. Share with me yep. a little bit more about sort of your career today that kind of got you to the point where you're actually running your own business with Jim. Yeah, well, this is one of my favorite topics. So I'll try and keep it nice and short and sweet for you, Andrea. I don't think that's possible uh, one, with you, one, Sam. One of my, one of my development errors. Yeah, one of my <laughs> development errors is brevity. Uh, well, I, I, um, I like to introduce myself as a, a British guy in Malaysia. Um, I've got plenty of time in the saddle. I've been in the industry for close to two decades now, Andrea. Would you believe it? Wow. Don't look, um, you don't so, look it. Not, not yeah. at all, Sam. Had a, had a lucky escape from a career in law back in 2000. And um, got, in, got into recruitment, didn't look back. Uh, spent about eight years in the UK markets. And then you had the big crash that anyone that's been in the market long enough will know about. Um, mass, there was a mass exodus over to sort of the likes of Singapore and Hong Kong about 2010, 11, as I think we're all familiar with. And um, yeah, I landed in Singapore 2011, um, cut my teeth in Asia, had a, had a great time there, um, sort of building out a new technology offering for a well-known um, recruitment brand. You can, you can uh, say who it is, you know, they're only going oh, to look, at, right. only look well, at your LinkedIn profile anyway. So, yeah. Well, I, I'm very grateful <laughs> for ambition for taking me in and giving me my sort of first experience in Asia. And we built the technology team there in Singapore, which was right. a great experience. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I put my hand up for an opportunity in Malaysia. Uh, I didn't really know a great deal about um, Malaysia. Uh, I have to say, I just sort of uh, dived in. I thought it looked exciting um, and it was a growth opportunity. And a lot of our clients were asking us for support up there. So I took a little bit of a, I went up there on a bit of a whim and a bit of a risk. And it was probably the best decision I ever made. What were your first um, impressions when you moved up to Malaysia? I mean, I mean, obviously, I've I've covered Malaysia. I absolutely love the experiences of, um, you know, it's a different market. What were your sort of first impressions when you when you first, um, you know, moved up to Malaysia? Um, well, it was this is 2014. So, by the way, massive changes in the last six seven years since I've been here. Uh, but I think that sort of defines the experience. It's a it's a market of great change. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd done London and I'd done a bit of Singapore. So I kind of had an idea as to what Southeast Asia was about. Mm. Um, but, you know, Malaysia was a sort of a developing opportunity at the time. And um, there was this sort of mass rush towards Malaysia to support um, the Singapore, which was the headquarters of Southeast Asia at the time, with a more sort of mass hiring agenda. So it was, it was just the scale and the pace of things that really struck me. And the fact that it was... Um, you know, clearly developing and needed a lot of businesses needed support and weren't really across their uh, hiring practices. So there was just a massive gap for the types of services that we were trying to provide. And, you know, it was just a case of making sense of the madness really as well, because there was, um, uh, you know, there was quite a lot of, it was a bit frantic <laughs> to say the least. Um, so trying to like, rationalize an opportunity in Malaysia where there's all this kind of hectic hiring going on, yeah. You know, and then and then we were trying to build a business. So, um, you know, we I, I slipped on every banana skin out there in terms of hiring the wrong people. Um, and um, I learned a lot through that initial three years and I had to learn very quickly. Um, but look, we, we, we got there in the end. We muddled through and we established a decent business. And I'm proud to say the business still uh, exists today. So, uh, you know, ambition lives on and continues to thrive. Um, coming a little bit more onto the present day. Yeah. Um, 
I, uh, I joined a business that, uh, called Salt, which is more of a, a specialist mm. in, the, in the digital space, which yeah. I, think, I think really sort of helped me hone um, really the space that I want to be in, in terms of marketplace. Um, I mean, I think Southeast Asia, there's this massive focus on digital as, a, as an emerging opportunity in terms of growing middle class, in terms of digital enablement. Um, and sort of every, everyone's on their mobile phone with their app. It's just such a big thing in the region. And, um, you know, there's this kind of gold rush towards being, you know, the first digital bank or the biggest e-wallet, et cetera. So, um, and then there's this sort of, these sort of iconic brands like, you know, Lazada, et cetera, and AirAsia in the region that are sort of pioneering digital and really establishing the ecosystem. So it's a very exciting space to be in and sort of helped me kind of, Build my uh, build my profile in that space. How long were you? Uh, with, how long were you with Salt for then? I can't remember. Uh, I was there with just just about three years. Yeah. Right. Okay. Ba- based in Malaysia, but looking after the region, um, which was great in terms of using the experience I've had in Singapore. Nice. Thank you and, for sharing um, that. Yeah. No, my pleasure. But then, obviously, launched uh, Kinetic in the middle of COVID last last year, which I think is our next story. But I'll let Jim do, do his intro. Yeah, over to <laughs> over over to Jim. I th- yeah, he's off mute. Perfect. Over to you, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, everyone. So uh, my name is Jim. Uh, I actually come from a small town of Kuching, but I'm currently residing in Kuala Lumpur. Um, a little bit by myself. I actually came from a software engineering background. Ah. Um, I've been recruiting in the IT space for about six years. Uh, and somehow along the way, I managed to find my way into a director post uh, right before Kinetic was born. So um, ex-software engineer, jumped right into recruitment, um, was a serial job hopper for quite a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, somehow came across them and, uh, and here we are today. That's interesting, isn't it, when you say serial job hopper? Because sometimes it works really well for some, right? In terms of you could you could possibly say your skills learned from job hopping, being able to probably pick things up quite quickly um, and meet different people, work with different types of people, could actually help you in the role that you're in now, where you're running your own business. So it's interesting, isn't it? That it's it's true. It's, it's, in right? hindsight, you know, usually will be like um, it might not be the best look to always jumping jobs, but you know. You know, maybe it worked out for me. So um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's really interesting. I always think sometimes when I stayed at one place, was it good? Was it bad? I don't know. I think I could definitely say I was loyal, but other than that, I'm not sure. Um, so, so that so that's brought us up to date in terms of where you're guys. Let's now talk about setting up a business during COVID, which yeah. um, some would say that's a little bit mad. I remember when Sam yeah. <laughs> rang me. I remember I was in my garden or something, and Sam rang and he was running me through. I'm thinking of setting this business up, and this is what we're going to do. And you're so passionate about. It's like wow, okay. Mm. You are mad, um, but you had this conviction of what you wanted to do and what that looked like. It was just so I'm really keen to yeah. let the listeners know, you know, who the hell are kinetic hiring? Um, you know, who does it service? Tell me a little bit more about mm. that. Yeah, I remember that moment when I called you, actually, Andrea. So, uh, yeah, lo- lots has happened since and we've stuck to our guns. But um, I, I, I mean, after sort of two, nearly two decades in the agency space, I mean, I, I, I love the sector. I love being in Southeast Asia. Uh, I love the fact that we're supporting businesses with finding their, their greatest and most valuable asset. Um, I guess after that period of time, I wanted to explore a new model outside of the agency space. No win, no mm-hmm. fee, chasing commissions. Um, I was just getting a bit... Uh, yeah, a little tired of that model. Um, I, I do respect and I think there's a space for it. Um, but I think businesses are interested in something different. So that was where we came up with the sort of 
the, the, we coined a, a, a model, outsourced talent acquisition, which is, I guess, the closest cousin of RPO, um, but borrows from the specialization and, and kind of urgency and pace of the agency world. Um, and also is a complement to talent acquisition. So it's not sort of competing for space with internal talent acquisition. It's an outsourced model that complements existing talent acquisition teams in more established businesses or perhaps for newer businesses, helps them, um, you know, create a talent acquisition function on a virtual basis. Um, and, you know, after a period of time supporting that client, maybe we can bring in a permanent member of, uh, from outside, we can bring in a talent acquisition, acquisition person and partner with that individual. So it, it really is a partnership model and, it, and we see it as the sort of the fourth option outside the sort of three existing primary routes to market, you know, and it borrows from each. Closest cousin of RPO, I would say though, Andrea. When you say a cousin of it, so I, look, I know kind of RPO from Resource Solutions and stuff yeah. where um, you're, you know, you're giving them, you know, you might have your own system or you're using theirs and you're reducing their cost base. You're putting people on site, maybe project based, yeah. maybe more long term. You know, I'm keen to know when you say cousin, what's the difference? Is it not just yeah. RPO? Yeah, it could, could be cousin, could be brother or sister. It's just an analogy. But, <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, look, I guess the difference is it's sort of listening to some of the, 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 the critiques of the RPO model from certain businesses. I mean, the great thing about RPO is a partnership model. You're on site. Um, you're not compromising client interests because every candidate that you identify ultimately is funneled towards that particular client rather than spray and pray of candidates. Yeah. Um, being on site is a huge benefit in terms of getting close to your clients and that high touch side of things. and 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 and, and you know, getting the communication channels right for, to get things to happen. What, what differentiates us is specialization. We're exclusively digital. And that is, uh, that speaks to the kind of people we hire. We hire people that are specialists in that space and have a threat record. In so that when space. you're saying that you're, when it's digital, okay, so does that mean yeah. that the clients that you're working with is just on that digital space? It's that they're mm. specialist in that field. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Either uh, we see two, two primary trends, either the bricks and mortar businesses that are setting up digital functions. So traditional businesses that are moving more towards a B2C uh, digital channel and are looking to hire, uh, create that department within their organization. Right, so we right. can help with that specific agenda. Um, we're really not generalist. That's the key point here. So we're not right. looking to pick up, you know, you know, general white collar opportunities. We're not competing in that space. It really is exclusively digital, although digital is quite broad these days and not just about tech. Um, or the, um, all this, you know, massive, uh, tired of um, investment in, 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 in venture capitalist backed startups, um, you know, high growth, smaller or even bootstrap digital brands that, um, you know, need, need our support. And, and we understand. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I think it's about understanding the type of challenges that those businesses face, you know, and I think sometimes uh, a big RPO business could be a bit of a sledgehammer to crack a walnut. You know, we're, we're a bit more agile, a bit more flexible. Um, you know, we're not, uh, we've got our business model and we've got our kind of terms, you know, terms of engagement, but we can be a little bit more agile, I think, than a, a lot of the bigger organizations mm. that typically occupy this space. I mean, it's, yeah. interest, it's interesting that both of you guys came from agency recruitment. So, Jim, what was it that made you decide to kind of go down an outsourced talent acquisition route as opposed to just, you know, okay, it's tough times, it's COVID, stick to what you know and, and set up a recruitment business. So, what was the motivation to go and do this as a business and go and do it with someone else? 
Right. I think it's a, it's a great question. It's, um, I think the way that we got around this initially was, you know, Sam and I over the years have always um, had the conversation about, you know, maybe we could start something new in the market. Maybe we should try something new. Um, and, you know, after months of discussion, Sam and I discussed and uh, we came up with the idea of Kinetic. So I think the, um, how I feel about the current market is that um, I think the current market's immediate thought about resourcing talent is to tradi- to go to like a traditional recruitment business. Yeah. Because there aren't many alternatives out there. Mm. So the idea of it being able to provide something that's more cost-saving um, for HR talent solution is exciting to us. Um, a business that encourages partnership um, rather than chasing the commissions. It's a, it's a solution that we believe in. And uh, I think that's why that we went for it. I suppose you can then... I suppose for you guys is showing that client the return on investment. If because you've come from the recruitment background, you can say, well, "Look, it's gonna. It would cost you this if you went to a recruitment firm, yeah. and those candidates can easily be put to every other organisation to other places mm. where this is. You are guaranteed us only working on that, right? So it's right. quite a different thing. What made you decide to go and do it with someone else, though? Is this? I mean, why not do this on your own and take all the money? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's always the question that. Uh, I, I always wonder why Sam did it with me as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of um, course, both of Yeah, but but I think um, my my honest answer to that is that um, when when you know that you have the right partner, um, you, you feel a lot more confident that you know this is a business that will be successful. Because yeah. I think sometimes um, setting up your own business can be quite stressful. It can be quite taxing as well. Yeah, quite lonely. Um, but, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you yeah. know, if you do it with the right person. Uh, I think there's a lot of reassurance over there. So I'm uh, happy that I've met Sam. Yeah, I'm, I, think, I think we're going to talk about that later, actually, because I actually think that as a topic on its own in terms of partnerships mm. and how you pick your partner is quite an interesting one. I know it's one that we spoke on another podcast that's coming out next month is just who's you know, a recruitment firm with another partner. I just think it's interesting when you, you know, how you go and find that next partner, how you complement those strengths. Um, so I'm keen to know from a funding perspective, because I'm real nosy, Parker. And when people say to me, oh, I've set up this company and we're growing and I can see a thousand posts from you guys that, you know, of people you're hiring. It's like every week is like, hello, welcome, welcome, blah, blah, to Kinetic. It's like you are constantly hiring people. So, so for me is, is wondering, gosh, how do you afford it? Um, so talk me through kind of the funding side of it. Do you have investors or, you know, these kind of angel investors whatever that means um you know how we, how are you going about that or how have yep. you got um that? well I, I can say that during the days of uh, agency for sam and i uh, i would say those days have been very kind to us recruitment has been very kind to us so we were able to bootstrap this business uh purely from our savings um wow. as of okay. now we currently do not have any investors but i, I think if the right one comes along uh we're always open to have that conversation so do you would you say then that you are actively that you are actively going after that in terms of an investor? Because there must be a point in time where you guys can't grow anymore in terms of like, you know, that you need other, you know, it may not just be funding, it might be expertise as well. Um, talk, talk me through that. Is that something that's in the future that you discuss or are you trying to do it as much as you can on your own, if you don't mind um, me asking? Oh, no worries. I think Sam and I have, you know, had this conversation as well because um, I think we're currently getting to a point where um, an investor could be helpful. Um, mm. But I think it does come down as well to, you know, what value could the investor bring to our business? Because it's not purely about, you know, just taking in an investment and um, taking in the money. Uh, I think if the investor is able to, let's say, contribute to our business, uh, have insight, 
has worked in talent acquisitions in the past, uh, that would be a huge uh, sell point for us. Yeah, yeah, and that's a really good point. It's not just the cash, is it? It's actually the expertise that yep. can actually take you to the next level. Sam, is there anything absolutely. you want to, to expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, in terms of bringing in an investor, I just think it's important to get that relationship right. Um, I think Jim and I got into the started a big part of us starting our own business was kind of intellectual freedom. Um, yeah, and you know, we found you know, we found it a very liberating experience. So mm. we don't want to go from a rock to a hard place. So yeah, I think I think someone that could bring expertise. Um, Jim mentioned, you know, someone who knows about talent acquisition. I agree. I agree with that. But also equally, and and quite con- contradictorily, <laughs> contradictory <laughs> to that point, someone from outside industry that could bring a totally fresh perspective also yeah. could be very yeah. interesting. That's relevant. So business lessons that are applicable, but from outside our sector could be good. Certainly someone that could make business introductions in the market as well. Mm. Um, but I think it would need, you know, Jim and I would have to think very carefully about the, uh, the nature of that relationship. Yeah, what, no, I get that. No, I think it's just interesting. Is anyone listening out yeah. there that, you know, it's always good to just connect, <laughs> I suppose, you know. Um, yeah. So in the next few months, what are your, you know, what are your initial goals, you know, um, and how have you got on with achieving them? Oh, sorry, that's the wrong question. In those first few months when you first set up, what were yeah. those initial goals last year, particularly with it being COVID and, you know, everyone's, you know, you're probably, you're probably I'm sure, are quite concerned about the market. So yeah. what were those goals? What do they look like? And how did you go about achieving them? Yeah, I think I'm kicking off this first, first part. So, um, look, I, I've never lost um, sight of the opportunity in Malaysia. You know, we've gone through some dark times in the last year, 18 months, and thankfully we're coming out the tail end of that. I don't think at any point during COVID, though, was there a sense that structurally, you know, the job market was going to fall through the floor in terms, particularly in terms of digital. You know, while certain businesses were bracing themselves a little bit and there was a bit of caution, there were these um, sort of big projects that I was aware of where businesses were just really shoring up resources um, and investing for the future. The funding was there and there was no sense that that was going to fall to the wayside. And I think also a lot of businesses were using the period to find top talent because perhaps access to candidates was going to be easier because overall perhaps less businesses are hiring. But for those businesses that are really focused and committed to hiring, it was actually you know good market for them to find really uh, sought-after talent. So I think finding wellsprings of opportunity was key and really targeting where we're going to find this uh, you know, an opportunity to springboard our business and, and pay, you know, actually payroll our organization from the early stages. Uh, I think the other bit that was really important in the early days was establishing and defining the brand. I think if we're talking about Jim and I's sort of respective roles and sort of long suits within a business. Um, my, my area of focus is really the branding and the messaging around that. I mean, if you look at all of our corporate comms, you know, how we introduce the business, our collaterals, mm-hmm. It's a it's sort of fairly consistent language use that we and, and a framework for that, and I think that gives us the discipline in terms of you know going out to market and knowing which business which opportunities to go for and which not. So, so where so does I that think, come from then, in terms of kind yeah. of the brand and the 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 you know when you mentioned about the branding side and the messaging? Yeah. Did you go to an external marketing firm to do that? Like, I mean, it's you know how how do you decide that was the look? That was how you're going to go out to market. To, to be honest with you, I've been thinking about this for some time, Andrea. So I kind of, it, it wasn't something, it, it actually flowed quite, quite naturally, to be honest with you. I, I, right. I, I, you know, I'd been exploring the on-site model with, with you know, the two 
contingency businesses I'd worked before. It was, it was an area I wanted to get into and I was already formulating what, what I, would, I wanted that to look like. So, um, yeah. That's a natural I, I, talent I, then. That's your it, naturalness uh, then in terms of the, that, that you didn't, because some people can go and set a business up, but when they market it, they really can't kind of articulate it or they don't uh, know what that brand looks like and they get external help. So for you, you felt it, that you'd been building that kind of mess, that, that look for quite a long time. I had a clear picture in my head, Andrea, to be really honest with you. And, you know, I remember spending an afternoon with a, with a, a glass of wine watching, uh, I was watching some music on, on YouTube and it just all flowed out. So wow, I kind okay. of, I, I created a, uh, I created yeah. a, a, a just, I just populated a, a Google sheet with all of the key messaging. And that was the basis yeah. for our, for our website and our collaterals nice. and, and nice. our pitches moving forward. So yeah, I mean, I find there's a sort of a DNA to how you communicate things, which I'm, I felt really clear on. Um, so which I think is defining... What? Which is what? When you're saying, what, what is that message? What, is, what was that look then? Can you describe that? Yeah, I, th- I think it started with, you know, what is it we're looking to do? What problems are we looking to solve? And just coming up with the, the phrase, you know, outsource talent acquisition. What, you know, what is this fourth space? And once you define, once you're really clear on the top level objective then everything else flows um you know it's around our people it's around our subscription model um and it's around our high touch on-site solution and it's about date being data driven and and if you can and if you can articulate the benefits of all of those things i mean these are things that a, the agency world have been trying to to get handle on for for as long as the industry has been around but i never felt as though um those benefits were truly realized because I think it just, because I, I think the model is compromised by this sort of no win, no fee thing. I think it's a lot easier to define a service offering if you get rid of that and actually just focus on service. Um, you know, we can actually talk about data because we actually, um, all the data that we collate, we actually share with our clients from the get go. We're not building a proprietary database, we're, right. we're doing it for our clients. So we can talk about benefits so much more, more clearly. So, yeah, I just think once you get a really, it's about simplicity and then all of the good things that flow from that is so much easier. Yeah, I love that. Jim, what would you, what, what were you, in your thoughts of the early days of starting out, were you quite fixed on certain goals that you wanted to achieve or was it kind of a little bit more flexible, a little bit more um, open? Like what was your take on it in the early days? Um, I think for me, it was all about getting the fundamentals right. Um, I think this is, this is something completely new for for both of us. We we never set up a business before. Uh, we've built teams in the past, but uh, I think setting up a business from scratch is an entire new experience from us. So in terms of fundamental, the first thing that I was really worried about when we started off was really about getting the right people in. Um, yeah. I, I always had the feel about, you know, would, would people buy into the solution? Would people want to join us in the first place? Um, and what comes next after that is really about... Um, having a clear structure of uh, what, what, what is actually good in our business, uh, what, what looks good to our clients and, and all of the other fundamentals like, um, like finances, getting our finances right, uh, getting our compliances right as well. So um, getting all of that done within the first few months was probably the most painful experience for me. Yeah, I but, bet. Uh, <laughs> you're, like a jack, you're like a jack of all trades, right? You know, you're not yeah. always, you're a, you're a finance person, a marketing, a sales person, a chief HR officer, you're everything, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, um, you know, I, I think after setting up all of that, I had a lot of respect for the guys in the HR. Yeah. Um, because when it comes down to doing payrolling, 
um, I didn't know you had to do it this way. I didn't know you could automate oh. it that way. So it was, uh. it was one of those things. Yeah, it's tough. Um, did, did, when you when you mentioned before about the hiring people, how did you decide there was a certain that you know? How did you decide what were the types of people that would that would do well in your business? Like, what were those competencies, or what was the behaviors or non-negotiables for you? Like, how did you kind of come up with what would be the right person that would do well in your company? Um, I, I think the type of people. Um, I, I think generally uh, we love working with people who have high EQ, <laughs> um, uh, people who are um, honest, flexible, um, genuine, committed. Um, and I think people that have the emotional maturity for, uh, for the business because when I think it comes from, I think most of the guys that we've hired uh, came from the traditional recruitment agency. Uh, right. And moving into a more RPO-ish solution, you would need to be able to adapt more to you know, things that you don't really see uh, from the outside. It could be small things like processes, uh, it could be internal politics as well because yes. every on-site recruiter would actually need to be a brand advocate. Uh, they would need to buy into the idea of the client and actually buy into the mindset as well. So um, we've always been looking for people like that and we're happy that um, we, we got them. So, yeah, because um, it's, it's, yeah. it's difficult, isn't it? When I always, when, when people go into in-house or, you know, in terms of like your outsource, they're you're used to dealing with agency recruiters are used to dealing with multitude of clients and they can kind of pick and choose the ones they like generally, right? Most recruiters end up recruiting and placing with the clients they like. The ones they don't like, they'll usually drop them after a certain period of time because <laughs> it's too hard, especially if you're on contingent, let's be honest. So yep. I suppose now when you're putting someone on site, you've got an agency recruiter that has got to be that ambassador, as you say. And so but maintaining and building upon those relationships, they can't walk away from them right? They're, they're there, they're staying. Um, same for sort of in-house recruiters. So how have you been able to kind of test that that person can adapt to that? Because it is, you know, it is different, really different. Yep. Um, I think, you know, there's only so much that you can screen during an interview stage, to be honest. True. Um, True. And, and to be honest, I don't have the, the perfect answer for this because um, I, I think most of the times it, would, it will come down to a gut feeling of, uh, of that session as well. Uh, I think it comes down to how well we have connected to the person um, and, you know, how much of a trust factor we could actually build from just maybe yeah. those two, three hours of conversation. So, yeah, I suppose yeah. if they've been on only a few accounts and they've dug deep into those accounts, like they've maintained existing accounts and they can demonstrate that, that's probably one way of being assured or confident that they would be able to do the same elsewhere. Because if you've got someone that's just doing new business development and they're going out into new fields, they're probably not have the patience sometimes to kind of dig deeper into that relationship, you know, work hard at building it and accelerating that trust. I don't know. Is there anything yes, you wanted to add to that, Sam, from a talent perspective, like the, the challenges yeah. maybe you've gone through when you, have you made mistakes on some hirings and is there any lessons that you, you can share? Coaching provides the space for professionals to take time to hit the pause button, reassess, make decisions, commit to new action and move forward with clarity. To enjoy a 10% discount on our coaching programs, reach out and quote the word talent. Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. Yeah, absolutely, Andrea. So, uh, look, you're dead right in terms of uh, the, we we do 
I think there's a lot of gut feel there, as Jim alludes to, um, because there's only so much that you can glean. Um, but we do have to really clearly differentiate between the, the new business, high churn recruiters versus those that are more have a capacity for building a long-term partnership and have the patience to do that and emotional maturity to do with the on-site politics, which is a big part, is a big differentiator. You know, we're looking for more T-shaped recruiters that, you know, we're not just doing sourcing. We're actually, you know, needing to be a lot more strategic. I would, I would just say that anyone we do put on site has the full support of Jim and I. So we don't put people on site and then forget about them. Um, there is, there is a, 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 quite a fair amount of hand-holding. And I think a big part of mine and Jim's role is actually to um kind of support the relationship from the top level and you know we have our weekly catch-ups with the client um which enable us we're, we're, it's a big wrap session we look through a lot of the data and uh you know activities from the week and we kind of help rationalize that and the action points so you know we it's not an isolated model andrea so i think that is a bit of a safety net but obviously with um as people develop within our organization we're looking for more autonomy and we're, we're actually looking for our next management lay, layer to come through the organization. So there's a kind of ev evolutionary aspect there, mm. Andrea, that I think mm. is, is important to point out. We're not, we're work in progress, right? Yeah, um, no, absolutely. I'm going to take you back yeah. one part when you first set up. When you first set yeah. up, what were the kind of things, did things go wrong in certain areas that you can, that you can share that will kind of help other people when they set up a business? You know, things to kind of look out for. I know when I've done you know, interviews with other people that have set up businesses on the podcast, you know, there's been sort of some common themes. So I'm, I'm kind of keen to hear yeah. what was happening in your you, early days you, that, you know, was, may have been a disaster, or, but, but learning well, points yeah. for you both. I, I don't think there's been any disasters, Andrew, but I think there's been certain things that um, we've really had to address. I mean, for me, um, you know, how, you know, how we allocate time is really important. I mean, you, you, new business is a blank canvas and you choose certain areas to focus on. Um, and you've got to be really good at, at identifying quickly and being able to measure where certain uh, allocation of time is just going absolutely nowhere. So, you know, what the big thing I learned is that I was investing quite a lot of time in, in fairly fruitless activities. And I really like what? Like what? Um, well, new business. I mean, my, what, one of my key roles is new business, right? Um, so I'm out there, you know, hopefully drumming up interest in, in brand and, um, you know, drawing in uh potential prospects um so um for me if i look at actually where we've uh, put our flag in the sand it's fair it's it's pretty close quarter stuff people that we know or referrals um very little has come to fruition in the seven or eight months we've been around that is based on a, a cold introduction yeah really interesting isn't it that's yeah. that, so that really fascinates me because i yeah. think we put so much emphasis as new business owners that kind of going out and completely cold people but actually when you yeah. actually look at your client list and go well that came from that person yeah that was a friend of a friend that was really your network that's what you've built but actually yeah that's the one where you kind of want to keep leveraging off because they trust you they they, they feel yeah. more comfortable going with some someone they kind of know exactly i mean one one of the sort of uh structural things that we brought into the business from day one was uh, a, a kind of a a, a a client pipeline so we've got an inventory of pretty much all the businesses that we would consider prospecting our services to across uh, Malaysia, Singapore, and Indonesia, which, yeah, it's a pretty long list. Okay, um, <laughs> but there's, you know, there, you know, we, we, we've sort of at some, we've used a lot of, you know, LinkedIn messaging and what have you. And, uh, you know, certain, you know, certain amount of mail shots, we don't do cold calls. That, that's pretty, pretty old school these days. Not, not for us, not certainly not for our model. 
Um, but yeah, look, we, we, we can get a very clear picture actually of where we've, we've um, made traction. Right. So, so for you then, early days yeah. was just, which I think was a really good point, was mm. making sure you're allocating time that is going to be revenue generating and not just picking the stuff yeah. that you naturally like doing. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I love doing that. Time. I'll do that bit. We're, yeah. We're a bootstrap business. We didn't have time to waste. So we had to be very pragmatic with the opportunities in front of us and low hanging fruit is the way forward. Um, and, and also, um, I mean, I was big on the brand from the get-go. I mean, I was quite, I, I, we enlisted a designer to sort of get our logo straight and our collaterals and, you know, get a cadence in terms of, you know, LinkedIn updates, Instagram and what have you. I mean, we found that, you know, the inbound inquiries from that is that are actually quite high quality. Um, so we, we've got a fairly clear um, structure now in terms of, you know, how we're, how we're building the brand and how we're bringing in new prospects. And it really is, we commit to certain courses of action that don't, that don't drain our time. No, that's interesting. And Jim, yeah. was there anything that when you now look back, if you were to change anything, would there be anything that you would have done differently? Um, yeah, I think looking back, um, perhaps my challenges was that um, building up your own business, there's a different feel to it compared to you know working for somebody. It's, it's the small things where um, maybe what I would have changed is that I wouldn't try to worry so much because uh, what I do here at Kinetic is more towards the operational day-to-day uh, -day activities of our consultants. Um, you know, back then, um, if I were to look at a, a resume that's going out, for example, I'll be like, uh, okay, this is good to send. But right yeah. now, I would look by word by word and say, oh, no, this, you can't use right. this word. You can't do this. Because so it's, it's always... got your name on it now. So there's right. a little bit more accountability. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Correct. Yeah, yeah, so really about looking, you know, word by word of like, okay, this, this is good to go. But yeah. um, I think um, what I would have done differently is that um, I, I would need to take like a little bit of a step back, uh, relax a little bit more, and, and, and just realize that you know things are actually going to be okay. Um, we have done our best, and uh, things will actually work out from here. Right. So it's that taking time to really reflect on what you have achieved that's going to get you to that, get you to, to right. the next tasks, the next goal. Right. Yeah. I think I think for most business owners, it, I, I like how you describe different feel to it. It is a different feel, I think, for people that run their own their own business, but there's positives and there's also a lot of stress involved in it as well, isn't it? But I like that you said it is important to take time to reflect because that then gets you to to really be thinking of the next the next level. What's next? And what have yeah. we learned from that? What can we do better? Where a lot of time yeah. people, I don't think, take time to reflect. They're just running, running, running like a racehorse and actually don't look and take that time, which I think is so important. Um, Absolutely. Tell us about tell us about the type of services that you offer a little bit more and how receptive were clients of that service right now? Because, I mean, look, I know that the, that, that model is out there. There's lots of firms. Well, I say there's lots of firms. Actually, there isn't. A lot of them that they used to be there a few years ago, they're not, they're not there anymore or they haven't been successful across yeah. Asia. So I would be keen to kind of know how, do, how, do, how receptive were clients to this offering? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll refer back to the sort of key pillars of what 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 is we're going out and, and messaging so we're talking about outsourced talent acquisition it's a it's an on-site or virtually on-site obviously in yeah. COVID times and even post-covid it's it's mainly video conference based um but the idea is that we're we're, we're outsourced or, or we second our our talent on-site with 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 the client and they be, essentially become part of their talent acquisition team or actually are their talent acquisition team in certain cases um you know, we, we really sell the, the sort of the, the high touch nature of that and the benefits of that, that those are a little harder to articulate. 
because they're the small things that add up to a greater whole. And I think it's only once the client experiences you know, what that feels like that they really, that's really where you get the renewal because they love the service level. You know, after three months, it's maybe the smaller stuff that really is the stickiness. Yeah, the big impact. Um, mm. Yeah, I think really articulating the digital specialization that gets us in the door. And I think Jim and I do bring that. You know, we've got track record, time in the saddle and credibility in that market. Um, so, you know, understanding the, the unique challenges around, um, you know, we, when, when, we're doing, when we're doing the evaluation process, clients will really grill us on what we understand about the market. Um, Jim will know a couple of, about a couple of examples there. I, I sometimes enlist Jim, who's, who's an ex-software engineer, uh, to, uh, to deal with some of those uh, sort of screening processes. So they, do, they really expect the, the bar's pretty high because if they're going to yeah. commit to us, they want to know that the quality is there. Yeah, and also it's a big um, risk for them, right? This isn't just a little, yeah. you know, they'll have to go right up to the top to actually, you know, they're going to do something different. You're taking a risk. Yeah. It's going against the grain of what you've already got. They'll, you know, you've already got a TA team. Why do we need to be yeah. outsourcing it, right? So there must be those kind of, True. those ob- so how yeah. do you overcome those obstacles it, then, right? When you've got someone yeah. that's saying, well, why would we need to expend more when we're already paying two people that sit in our TA? How do you well, overcome that? Yeah, it's about reassurance and it's about, you know, highlighting that we're a complementary model. And the, the reason why, you know, you might be talking to us is because uh, at the current time, um, the, demand, um, the demand for resources exceeds what you have right now. And we can complement that. And we're actually a cost-effective solution for that. We're not a fixed cost. We're, we're guaranteed to, it's service on demand. So rather than, you, you know, the client hiring a fixed cost into their business and a potential culture risk, um, you know, we're a, a, a no, you know, a low hassle solution that is actually really complementary, and and we're experts in what we do. And we bring a network, and we, and you know, when we're putting the person on site, we put on on site somebody who's mature, trusted. We know who they, you know, who they are, how they work. We know that they've got the network, um, but they're supported by Jim and I. So it's like there's additional value there, and obviously the network of Kinetic as a whole. So. Um, and I think, I think the other thing is that um, to differentiate from the agencies is that, you know, if we are focused on that particular client, we've got Chinese walls between clients. We're not spreading candidates around. So if we source an amazing candidate that there's, uh, the, is prioritized to that particular yeah, client. Yeah, that's the difference, the, isn't it, than an agency? Yes, it's, yeah. it's a big one. And I'll just add as well that the, the data point. Um, so, we're, you know, we're not, we're not performing rocket science with our data, but we're, we're disciplined with it. So we create long lists of, of talent. Um, from the get-go, we create reports that is shared with the client from the outset. So clients get to see the whole funnel process. Yeah, a bit from, like a kind of, a little bit like yeah. a retained assignment in a way, right? Yeah. That's what clients yes. get if they're paying kind of retained, but on contingent, it's just kind of doesn't, doesn't yeah. happen. And, from, and they get a database at the end of it. And we pull together some interesting data points such as, um, you know, bra- um, employer branding. So on speaking to the candidate, is the candidate has the candidate heard of the brand? And on speaking to us, are they interested in the brand? So they can get an insight on, you know, 30% of candidates are actually aware of this particular business. 70% of candidates are actually interested in working for the business. So mm. it's very simple stuff that actually, when, when you speak to 200 candidates, it's some pretty powerful data. Yeah, yeah. No, that's really interesting. So, really interesting. Yeah. I want to talk about attracting talent to go on site. I know we kind of touched upon it a little bit. Is it just purely agency recruiters that you're looking at or are you looking at other RPO people or outsourced people? I mean, it's a, it's a real mix, Andrea. I don't, mm. you know, it's, we, we hire on competency and culture fit and, um, you know, ideally people that have got that digital knowledge. Um, so, yeah, we've got a mix in the organization. 
to be fair. Right. Yeah. Do the clients want something different? Like what you think works on site? Do clients want do clients as have clients giving you specific um kind of requirements on what they would like for someone to be on site? I know it's virtual. Yeah, but... look, the the client gets to actually interview who who we put on site. So we don't we don't sign a contract and then suddenly, you know, someone turns up that they've never met before. So they're included in the process. Um, but are there mismatches at times in terms of what they think they're looking for versus what you think would work? Was it fairly similar? Um, we're, we're so, far, so far, we've got it right. Well, I mean, look, the, the nature of the solution is that if for whatever reason things didn't work out, that um, you know, we can play a bit of music together. So, yeah, okay, okay. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's guaranteed service. We're guaranteeing the service. It, the individual needs to be a good culture fit. But at the end of the day, we, we're guaranteeing service. So it, we're open to the idea that the client might want to try, you know, try a different individual or someone. Maybe if someone's specialization or maybe if, if requirements change, they might start off with a whole bunch of marketing requirements and then it switches to software engineers. To be honest with you, it's unlikely that someone's an expert in both. Yeah, so in no, that, that's in a that fair situation, point. Yeah, we can switch it around. I was really keen yeah. to ask Jim, when what was the reaction from competitors when you set up like last year? What, you know, did you... You know, what was there? Was there any reaction from others? Um, I I think there are definitely competitors out there. Um, perhaps some that I've never heard about, but I, I think it really depends on what people perceive uh, what a competitor is. Because um, I think we compete with different businesses in very different ways. Like, for example, an agency might see us as a competitor. Mm. Um, an RPO might actually feel the same way as well, but. I think the reality of it or how we see it is that we actually do complement uh, internal and in-house talent acquisitions as well as partnering with, you know, their existing vendors. So we could be working with an external agency as well. Right, okay. Uh, to actually okay. facilitate, yes. Right, uh, so, th to, so, they, so some of the agencies can have relationships with your TAs on site. It's not a master vendor then? Yes, correct. In, not, well, in some, is, have you got master vendors with clients or is it mainly... More, is it more flexible? I might be able to help here. With, with one of our clients in particular, we are engaging agencies because it's such a huge volume of requirements. I mean, we'd love for them to just, you know, use more of our stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we're, we're quite flexible. And I think that's going back to our point. You know, we can be agile. Um, but the goal is, you know, proving our model and obviously building market share. So but we can, we can make decisions and accommodate. What do you think? What, what's the landscape look like for RPO, do you think, in Malaysia? I mean, I mean, just in terms of where you're at now, what, what, you know, what is the growth for that? Do you think in terms of organising? I know I'm sort of like a bit of a crystal ball there, but what, no, what's your take on that? There's a massive opportunity, Andrew, because Malaysia's a mass hire. Well, there's two, there's, there's various um, uh, streams of hiring here, and without wanting to oversimplify, I mean, there's the sort of high level, high bar specialist hires that are perhaps not dissimilar to Singapore. Uh, and leadership hires, of course, but there's also a, a mass hiring uh, initiative going on here. I mean, it's, it's been a shared services hub for some time and offshore yeah. hub increasingly for, for things like development, software development. Um, so, you know, that lends itself to RPO because I don't think businesses are going to want to invest 15 to 20% or even more than that, in, you know, per hire for that sort of function. So, look, there's, there's a big opportunity, but the the bar is increasingly higher so um, there's a little bit of a mismatch between the service providers and the demands of the hiring itself mm. um, so I think historically that you know the gap that we're trying to fill is that um, yes we're probably competing with the RPOs out there but 
we're uh, our competitive edge of specialization. So we kind of fit between the agency and the RPO world, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I think, I think if, uh, you know, there's a huge opportunity here. Um, and I think what we'll see more of is uh, a, a, a more, um, more businesses like us probably and more RPO businesses trying to address that specialization point. Um, it's just and, whether they have the expertise on the ground, right? I think sometimes yeah. you find big recruitment firms will have that RPO model, but they actually don't have anyone on yeah. the ground. You, they yes. they just they let everyone travel and do it, but it doesn't work like that anymore. Right? Yeah, you can't you can't put an FMCG or banking recruiter into a technology business and you know expect them to hit the ground running. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah, exactly. So, I'll be yeah. interested to see what the next few years look like because I think in Singapore at the moment there's real pressure for you know for good reasons that they're investing in making sure that people that are being hired are Singaporean and um, you know us poor old expats um, being sent home because there isn't or you know from an employment pass perspective they're really sort of clamping down on things and so yeah I my I suppose there is probably and knowing Malaysia being Malaysia will, will hopefully take advantage of that and that if companies yeah. can't find talent you know we can't expect that. You know, every, every, you know that they'll find all the skill sets locally. I'd be interested to see because we all know when you've been out here twenty odd years, it happens every few years. Um, some of those organisations go offshore. They, that, that's where kind of Malaysia and their shared services occurred because of those reasons. So it'd be interesting yeah. to see if Malaysia um, takes advantage of the fact that there will be real demands of um, you know um, supplying good candidates and whether they'll, that will change the landscape. I don't know. Just yeah, definitely. Definitely what we want to see, Andrew, and I think Malaysia's capitalized on that to some extent. Um, but, you know, Malaysia's also faced with its own uh, challenges in terms of looking after local talent and the sort of some of the political ramifications of that. They can't open the door too, too wide. Um, but the, the visa system here just about caters for that. You know, we've got obviously COVID has put a bit of a stopper on a lot of visa applications. So it's, it's not been a lot of fun lately trying to get an expat into Malaysia. But there, there is a framework there that, um, and there is does seem to be a commitment to getting a certain percentage of foreign talent in. I don't think it's anywhere near what Singapore is going through at the moment. No, no, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be interesting times. I'm yeah. really keen to kind of I'm 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 keen to know. No, I'm going to ask the I'm going to ask my last question, the one I was going to ask at, at the end. So I'm going to park that one. I'm really keen <laughs> to get on to the partnership side with you guys because that kind of really fascinates me, just in terms of, um, you know, two business owners. You know, juicy stuff. The, yeah, the juicy stuff. Um, yeah. So you both known each other for a while. Now you mentioned that at the beginning, and you're now obviously leading together. How do your strengths complement each other? Can you kind of give some examples of maybe where you're similar, where you're different, and kind of maybe where you might rub each other up the wrong way at, at times? Jim, <laughs> let him start with that bit. <laughs> no, Sam, I'll let, you, I'll let you go first on this. You think so? Look, I okay. Well, I'll just I'll just say. Um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier about, you know, why did we set, up, set it up as a partnership rather than take all the money and, and go individually? Well, to be honest with you, that didn't seem like a lot of fun to me. Um, I think unless something's fun, it's not worth doing, Andrew, to be honest with you. It's not just about the money, really. It's about, it's about the journey along the way. I'm, I'm a social creature and I need, I need someone to sort of, I need a co-pilot. And yeah, Jim, yeah. Jim's, a, Jim's a brilliant co-pilot. So it was just the first thing that I thought of that if I'm, if, you know, I, Yes, I put my hand up and said, right, I'm going to do this. And Jim was the first person I spoke to. So for so, you, when you said you're a social creature, is, is it yeah. that you bear that, that you can shoulder the, the responsibility together? You can feel that you can take risks together. What, what is it yeah. that, <clears throat> that you it, find together gives you strength co yeah, collectively? Yeah. 
when I say I'm a social creature, let, let me sort of define what that looks like. I suppose if, I, if I've just had a challenging phone call or experience, let's say, my first instinct is to speak to someone yeah. that I trust. Yeah. First thing I think of doing. Yeah. So, and that's, how, and, that's how I, and that's how I deal with it. And that's why I don't have too, too many gray hairs. Yeah. Um, so, Where do you think that you're different, though? Where do you think that you're actually very different, that it complements what you do? I mean, obviously, you can see you've both got different, two different types of roles where, Jim, you were saying quite operational, where, Sam, you're kind of going after new business. It seems as though you'd already decided those paths for each other. But what if that, what if that changed and you wanted to mix that up a bit? How do you go about being able to kind of have those discussions to change stuff up? Jim? Um, I think for us, it's always about over-communicating. So um, mm. I think on a daily basis, we might speak like um, any, anything between five to ten times a day at uh, odd hours, early in the morning, late at night. Uh, it's really about getting our thoughts out at all times. I, yeah. Think, yeah, I think purely on a personality-wise, is uh, I think Sam is obviously more of the extrovert. Uh, I'm more of the introvert. Yeah. So uh, it, it tends to blend well together, I think, for business yeah. partners. Yeah. So yeah, And I think when it comes down to maybe strength, um, I think for the both of us, it's not exactly a situation where it's like uh, there's something that Sam can do or something that I can do that we can't do. But it, it's um, there's a little bit of a reassurance over there in the sense that um, you know, you know. I think working in the past, there's always that thought about um, if you don't do it, if you don't do it yourself, uh, it will never get done right. Um, but you know, knowing that you know Sam is here uh, with me, uh, and and both of us are actually able to do the task. I think we are a little bit interchangeable in different situations as well. And it uh, gives us a lot of reassurance that um, at any point of time, we can actually get the task done. So, you know, I think that's my thoughts. Yeah, I think it's interesting, the introvert, the extrovert side, because I think when you're saying the extrovert side for Sam going after meeting new clients, that's probably his natural, um, you know, those are those Mm. unique skills that probably, but enjoys doing that and it comes easily. Where I imagine Mm. from an introvert perspective, do, do you find... Jim, that you will mull over the data and, um, you know, when you say introvert, what does that look like from an operational perspective? What value does that bring to the business? Um, well, I think it, I think introverts tend to be a little bit more of a perfectionist. Um, yeah. When, you know, yeah. when we're looking down at numbers, for example, um, and we're looking at um, structure, you know, how, how things are going to be done on a day-to-day basis, you want to get make sure that every process is actually being done right, right. Uh, and consistent uh, on, on a weekly basis. So, I think that's how how it goes. Yeah, I love that. I think that is a really great compliment. And when it comes to kind of the futuristic side of what that business looks like in the future, where it is a little bit unknown, um, that you can't look at past data or you can't look at the past, you're looking to the future, that more kind of visionary outlook. Who is the best at being able to see that picture? Or do you find both of you um, can see it quite clearly? <laughs> um, I think um, I think Sam, so, so I think the difference between Sam and I is that uh, Sam would always have more optimistic view and I'm right. a little bit more pessimist. So for it, it could be something as simple as um, um, a candidate who just received an offer yesterday. Sam would be like, hey, I'm very sure this guy is going to join. Um, you know, it's, it's a done deal. And for me, I'll be like, no, it's not done until the guy signs and actually starts yeah. on day one. Yeah, so, oh, that's yeah. really interesting. I love, the, I love the differences on that. I think the having that I think having the optimism is great because I think you think big you dream big and that's where businesses grow because it's the unknown and as they're risk-taking and it's innovative but also someone like Sam would also need that being pulled back by someone like yourself to go wait, 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 wait a second let's just tick this a bit let's just make sure that we are 
deliberating a little bit before we take those big strides. So actually, without you even realizing, you've created a partnership that um, that works really well, right? It's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what you, you're both from different countries, and, and Sam, obviously, you're from England, and Jim, you're from Borneo. Is that correct? Yes, correct. You're from Borneo. Um, so how has that worked in terms of, have you ever found that there's been sort of cultural challenges or you found that you work really well together? I mean, I'm keen to kind of know how those cultures collide. Um, yeah, I think I think I have a funny story about this. So um, Sam, Sam's the kind of person that uh, loves the outdoors. So um, his fun, his idea of fun would be, let's say, um, exploring the small towns in Malaysia, uh, learning about Malaysian culture, being out in nature. Uh, and for me, I just want to stay home and uh, play my video games. <laughs> so, um, you know, every Monday morning, um, when we do our catch-up, we always talk about, you know, what do we do on the weekend? And Sam would say that, hey, you know, I tried this amazing pork knuckles in uh, Sentu. I had a, really a great cycling trip. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll say that, you know, I had a great cycling trip, a great adventure, you know, at where and where. Uh, and he'll say, hey, Jim, so uh, how was your weekend? And I'll say, oh, it's just mostly sleeping and uh, playing video games. And, and, and shoot, the conversation and ends people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How interesting. So, wow, that's, that is different, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I suppose it's just everyone wants different things. Everyone wants to be able to recharge in different ways, right? That's that's kind of what, what you need when you're running your own business. Um, so yep. how do you both ensure you stay on track with your goals? How do you keep each other motivated? Because obviously it's tough times right now. It's, you know, it's only you guys, you've got no one above you saying, come on, come on, come on. So how are you motivating each other to keep it going um, and achieve those goals? Should I, I step in here, yeah. Uh, Jim? Yeah, yep. cool. Um, <clears throat> that's my self-awareness kicking in because I know I steal the mic sometimes. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, look, well, I think we've established a bit of a cadence. So we do it's not like a really obvious kind of process map sort of weekly agenda, but we've got, we've got certain weekly cadences that we stick to. I mean, we've got our, we're our, got our group Monday morning catch up. We've got our individual, we've got our team into two respective teams. You know, Jim, Jim being the structured process guy, you know, he's, he's got his individual catch ups with each of those team leaders and then individual catch ups with everyone within that team. We've got various, sort of reporting and, uh, you know, going on that we're working on with each of those teams and team members. Um, you know, we've got our Friday wrap, you know, that there is a nice cadence within the business. I don't think we want it. We didn't want to be sort of overly, um, uh, we wanted to move away from too much dogma on that. And, you know, as I say, wasting time and investing our time in, in areas that don't give us return on investment. But what I do feel as though we've established a really nice cadence when it comes to our weekly catch up sort of model, if you like, and the stuff that we do report, uh, the meaningful stuff that we can actually work on. Um, and uh, Jim and I catch up every, you know, on a bi-weekly basis, we have like a master to-do list. So every two weeks we have, uh, we have lunch together, um, we're permitted, wearing a mask, subject to social distancing. You have to say that these days. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, no, we, we, kind of, we, kind of, we kind of tick off sort of, you know, pressing matters of the, of the day on a sort of bi-weekly basis. Um, and, and outside of that, we just got a culture of, it's okay to pick up the phone and, and we apply, it's a flat structure, you know, and that yeah, you are, you are a caller. You are a phone caller. I know that from you. I know yeah. that you will just, if I send you a message, you'll just call. Yeah. You yeah. are a phone caller. You know, you're not, yeah, you're not we, all we just don't on leave, text. Yeah. We don't leave sort of toxic WhatsApp updates with each other, you know? Um, 
it and, and I and I think I think that kind of looks after itself. So I guess I mm. guess my response is cult is it's a culture, the culture yeah. of communication. Yeah, I yeah. love that. What what yeah. dreams do you have? Like, like, before I get onto the quick fire round, which we do at the end of every podcast, what mm. dreams do you have for the business? Um, maybe I can take this one. Yeah, you're um, about three year plans, so you'll you'll be the best person <laughs> articulating this. So. Yeah, um, I, I think when it comes down to dreams, um. I think it's all about our current people as well because um, I think my dream is to kind of see the current team actually ascend, take a larger role with us in the future. Um, I think one of the biggest things that we can give back to the people is being able to provide relocation to them one day. Um, you know, who knows? We could be in Singapore, UK, or maybe Korea, for example. Maldives, Maldives, Caribbean. Yeah, Maldives, yeah. <laughs> if you can afford that, why not? But <laughs> I'd be happy with Penang. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Penang yeah, but... would be good. Yeah, yeah, but I think you know, even though our focus is currently in Malaysia, it's gonna be you know, it's kind of like a never say never kind of thing. Yeah, um, also it'll, it'll exciting. Be, yeah, it'd be nice to actually you know diversify the offering out there as well. But um, I think we uh, what what Sam mentioned earlier as well was about you know we have a growth plan um uh heading into twenty twenty three two thousand twenty three uh and it will be looking at about forty five headcounts um which will actually triple our growth uh, wow. in terms of revenue. We so any agency maintain. recruiters in Malaysia that might want to be looking for a change, you want to hear from them, I gather. <laughs> thanks for the yeah. thanks for the plug. But yeah, yes, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> okay. um, yeah, you know, and, and of course, you know, maintain um, the, the good culture we have right now. I think it's, um, we have a little bit of a family feel going on right now and, um, and we hope we keep this up. So, in, um, see, that's an interesting one, that family one, because I'm, I'm, I always, I'm sort of on the fence on it. Like, there's one part of me I think it's nice to say it's a family feel, we care for each other, blood. But then the other side is, oh, I don't know about you, but my family are a pain in the ass at times. You know, God <laughs> yeah. Almighty. I mean, yeah. Oh. So actually, it's kind of, uh, do we want it family? You know, yeah. I know where you're, I know where you're coming from, Jim. I'm just kind of winding <laughs> you up on it because you definitely yeah. don't want it to be exactly like my family. Um, Harmonious right. family, yeah. Harmonious. <laughs> Right, I'm yeah. going to do quick fire rounds. This is my fun sure. bit. They're never, they're never quick though. Uh, what book, podcast are you listening to right now, Sam, and why? Uh, I am reading Work Rules by Laszlo Bock. Uh, you might be familiar with him, former mm. VP of Human Resources with Google. Um, Ooh, it, was actually a, it was actually a recommendation from a client, uh, a high-profile CTO in the market, and he recommended I read it, read it, and I'm halfway through and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Reading um, or Audible? Uh, it's actually reading, so I'm not cheating. Okay. Although I do like Audible's I do like good. Audible. Yeah. 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 Um, I just I just love the messaging in the book. I mean, it's obviously it's written by someone who's an ex McKinsey consultant. So right. there's obviously a lot of detail in there. But from just from a top level, um, you know, the way in which it emphasizes certain things that are obviously true but are not put into action, like putting people as your single biggest asset, focus on hiring, um, you know, data in terms of work practices, staff empowerment, culture and mission, just stuff that I really love and I'm really passionate about. And um, you know, I'm trying to bang the drum for HR in, in Malaysia and raise the profile of it. Uh, if you've seen my, if you've seen my uh, Insight and Demand series, you'll know that. Um, oh, you so <laughs> plugged that. So plugged there that. We go. Brilliant. Um, um, send, me yeah, the, look, send me the link on that. I'll put it on the show notes. But for Jim, yeah. what's, your, what's your kind of book or podcast or something you're kind of interested in other than the video games right now? <laughs> um, I, I think in terms of books right now, um, my girlfriend actually passed me a book to read, uh, which I have not touched over the last three to four months. Men are from Mars, a... women are from Venus. No, sorry. <laughs> it is actually a, a Simon Sinek uh, book, uh, Start With Why. Oh, it's uh, my favourite. It's my favourite. Oh, no. 
I always said I was going to start on start reading it, but uh, I think it's collecting dust right now. So um, probably right after this, I might pick it up. Oh, it's so, so good. He's. I mean, even if you don't read the book, just watch all his videos. He's just. He just inspires me. Um, he's also yeah. quite nice to look at. So, what one cool thing guy. will change in yourself this year to be more fulfilled, Sam? Uh, I've been really working. On, well, the thing I love about um, uh, running a business is having a bit more freedom of my time, and I've been able to get on my bike more. Oh, you like your biking, yeah. Don't you yeah. have on your profile page on your WhatsApp, you have you on, your, I, you on a bike? I was, I was wearing black, so I think it took about 10 kilos off me, and I was going up a hill <laughs> in Bintan. It's actually in Bintan. Um, is it in Bintan? But, um, oh, right. Yeah. Look, actually, I've, I've managed to exercise every day this year apart from three days. So oh, that's, that's amazing. Big, that's been wow. a big thing for me, yeah, and I needed to do it, to be honest with you. I was piling on the pounds. Uh, I'm not getting any younger, and I think well-being is just incredible such an important topic um and um i think one of your questions was about like a tool to support that wasn't it andrea i want to link a tool to support to support your lifestyle improve your lifestyle because i want to link the two oh yes okay the last one which i'll i'll yes link onto it and i'll come back to jim on the other one what one tool are you using right now that makes a big difference in your life well i think more people are aware of this and that's strava but specifically the strava subscription service which enables you to um, you, you've got an explore function on there and it gives you routes to rides that are based on the most popular routes that cyclists oh, ride in your area. Okay. And it's been amazing. So I can just sit in my condo. I fancy doing a 45 kilometer ride today oh and, then I, and then I can choose one that is very popular in the region and I just follow it on my device and it's been brilliant. Gosh, so is that a, how far a, you go? Jesus, that's about, a long way. Well, that, uh, to the hell. cyclists in the audience, that's, that's a mid-level ride. You've got people Yeah, for Singapore listeners, there's a lot of Big, there's a lot yeah. of riders, and yeah. I, I know that. So that, but I suppose would Malaysia be better rides, better sort of routes than in Singapore? Because Singapore sort of, yeah. If you if you get out of town, but it's it's been a big thing for me this year, just getting on the the, the sort of healthier path, and um, I think that's had a big role to play in. Uh, I think you can deal with stress more, right? I mean, uh, yeah. I do a Huge walk. Advocate. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not a sort of massive exerciser, but I do a walk every Wednesday with friends, and actually. That's all I need is to just kind of reset and talk things yeah. out. And, you yeah. know, that, that's really helpful. Jim, what is it for you? What, what one thing would you change in your life? And are there any tools that you're using that make a huge, will make a huge difference in your life? Um, okay, I think the main thing that I would like to change about myself is really learning to unwind after work. Because ah. um, I, I kind of noticed like uh, over the, the years that I've been working, you, I could be on holiday and my home is my mind is still back at the office. Yes. Uh, I think so a lot of really people about, feel like that. What what yeah. are you doing currently that is working? Uh video games work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. I I, 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 I think that. it's um, yeah, but I think it's like baby steps uh to to unwinding on this because uh, I kind of realized this when it's uh you know going on a nice vacation to the beach for example and you know when your mind is is back at home. Oh no, have I replied this email? Is, is something yeah, wrong? I, I, yeah, yeah I, I, I think a lot of people can really resonate with that because I think when I did this cruise to nowhere with the family, we, my husband and I decided not to do the internet and that was a really major thing, no internet. And actually, yeah. it took me two days to actually stop thinking about work. I mean, I don't, I don't have a pressurized job like you guys, but you know, when you run your own business, you've still got responsibilities and you're accountable for things. And so your mind is, I mean, it literally took me two days to my shoulders just to relax. And then by the time mm. they relaxed, I was on the way home again. So I think, <laughs> I think the constant input 
you know, whether it's Clubhouse now or it's Spotify, even podcasts like this, there's just there's constant information coming at you and questions that it doesn't stop. So mm. sometimes it's a really one piece of advice from me would be just completely disconnect. And maybe that's what you're doing, Sam, with the bike riding. I mean, I imagine you probably listen to something, but it, it's still disconnecting completely with nature, isn't it? I think nature yep. is just such a healer for so many things, whether it's yep. a walk, get a dog, walk the dog one, like in the evening. The amount, You think it's a simple thing. It's not going to make a massive difference, but gosh, it really does make a difference. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I don't underestimate endorphins either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah well, you're Simon an optimist you're that. an optimist anyway so it probably comes quite naturally to you oh, right I need guys that. i need a dose <laughs> <laughs> right guys thank you so much for your time at being get, been our first um podcast with both of you on there so with two people so it's wonderful to have you on the show um if you'd like to reach out to jim and sam we'll leave the details on the show notes on spotify um and on itunes and wherever um and on our company website where you'll find all the podcast guest details now do look out for our weekly talent tip tuesday video series where i tackle a recruitment challenge every few weeks um now if you're a recruitment firm looking to empower your female recruiters then please reach out to discuss membership with Weira. this is women in recruitment asia um, we'll be running discounted coaching programs, e-learning e programs, webinars, networking, mentoring across Asia. So don't miss out on that. That's going to be launched in June. So please reach out if you want more details on that um, or you're looking to be a mentor. Um, if you're interested in being a guest on the show or keen on any of our e-learning recruitment training courses or coaching, um, then please reach out um, on all the details on the show notes. Thanks a lot. Have a good day ahead. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.